Hi, folks. Welcome to another edition of the Inside BS Show. If you've ever wondered how you can start and grow a professional practice or a business quickly, I've got the answer for you today. For years, I've advocated niche marketing. I've advocated segmenting your database and focusing on messages that resonate with your audience. Well, today I have a guest for you who's aligned his entire business around a niche, and he's been extremely successful in doing it. That's right. Today I'm interviewing my friend of 15 plus years and my client, Steve Klitzner. And Steve is going to share with us how answering an ad and getting a package in the mail changed his entire professional practice and ultimately changed his life because Steve is now the premier IRS resolution expert when it comes to anything related to the IRS that you could possibly deal with. He's going to tell us all about how he markets his practice, why he picked this area of specialty, and how he focuses on multiple ways to attract one client rather than one way to attract 100 clients. Sit back and relax as we have a great conversation with my friend Steve Klitzner on this episode of The Inside BS Show. Steve, welcome to the show. It's a great day to fight the IRS. How are things going in your battle with the IRS? Well, fortunately, they keep me plenty busy every day coming after people. Now, they've, they've, They've slacked off a little bit, of course, with COVID, but they're starting to gear it up more and more, and uh, business is good. So now we can't we can't really say a lot of bad stuff about the IRS, particularly on this show, because they're they're leveraging you to help make them better. You just you were just appointed to some really important position advising the IRS commissioner. Tell, tell folks what you're doing and tell folks, you know, exactly why it's so important. Well, yeah, Dave, I was just appointed to ERSAC, which is the Internal Revenue Service Advisory Council. And it's a three-year term. We go to Washington, D.C. five times a year, culminating in a public hearing where we issue our report every year. And our job is to advise the IRS commissioner on certain practices and procedures. Uh, I'm in the subgroup small business self-employment, which is really what I do. So uh, it's a great thing. We just started. We've only had one meeting. Everything that's done at the meetings is top secret. So I can't talk about it because we actually hear confidential information that we can't reveal. But it's so far so good. It's very rewarding and hopefully I can make a difference. So you can you can tell us. You guys really what they do is they just sit around and they go, How how are we gonna how are we gonna screw the little guy? And they and they say, Klitzner, listen, tell us, tell us what is the little guy most concerned about? Because we're gonna go right at him at that point. That's what they want you there for, right? <laughs> No, it's kind of the opposite, but you're close. <laughs> no, and and it, it, um, it, it's something that one of the reasons I'm so excited about it is just the recognition from the IRS because they get a lot of applications and there's only 35 people that are appointed uh, about 12 every year for three-year terms. So it really, I feel really good about the fact that uh, they've recognized that I can um, help them and give them some advice and and make some recommendations that will really help the service. Because, you know, in, in a lot of areas of law, the people on the other side are your adversaries. And to some extent, of course, that's true. But the idea of what I do is to have to get along with the IRS. I have to try to make deals that they will accept that my clients can agree to so the idea is working together. And if I can help make that that better and easier, then I think I've done my job. So let's talk about how this is really your role. It, it, your business is is a relationship business and not just with the clients. You One of the ways that you get fantastic results for your clients is because you have great relationships with the IRS revenue officers. Talk a little bit about that. Most people don't realize, you know, they, they hire you because they, they think that you're going to, you know, get out your sword and your shield and you're going to do battle with the IRS. But really, you're in there every day talking to revenue officers 
making, you know, making deals for your clients and they're making the deal based, based upon the relationship they have with you. Uh, share that with folks. Explain how that works. Uh, and it really helps a great deal. You know, I can't call the IRS and speak to anybody and say, hey, just, you know, get rid of this or just make me a deal. I'll give you a dollar. It doesn't work that way. But the relationships are important because it helps me be more efficient. It gives me credibility that when I say I'm going to do something, I'm really going to do it. And if I need an extension, they know I really need an extension and they'll give me more time. And they know that I know what I'm doing. And, you know, sometimes the IRS can be bullies and they'll push. And if you push back a little bit or they know you will, they'll go pick on somebody else. So the idea when I'm on a case, a new case, is the revenue officer, revenue officers handle collections, revenue agents do audits. But that person knows that they can go work on other things. I'm going to take care of what I need to, to give them what they need. They don't have to sit and lecture me or give me all the rules. They know that it's going to get taken care of. And there's a lot of times when I'll get a revenue officer or a revenue agent say to me, thank goodness you're on this case. I couldn't deal with that accountant or I couldn't deal with the taxpayer. Now we can get this thing resolved. But only, only certain people representing taxpayers can speak to the IRS. Not everybody can like, well, so if I have a problem myself, I can talk to the IRS on my own behalf. It's probably a bad idea for me to do that. But if my next door neighbor has a problem with the IRS and she says, Dave, can you call the IRS for me? They can't, they can't talk to me. Right. 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 You have to be either an attorney, a CPA or an enrolled agent to talk to the IRS. Although your neighbor could have you on the phone and you can talk, which I think would be a horrible idea. But as long as they're on the phone, right. they'll let right. you talk to them. But yeah, you have to be uh, one of those three professions in order to actually deal with the IRS. Because, you know, the reality is I don't want my clients generally talking to the IRS. It's a bad thing. So I stand in their shoes and, and they have to go through me. Well, in that way, it is identical to representation in any other matter with an attorney. You don't want your client talking to someone who has advanced knowledge or a better strategic wherewithal or more resources. That's the whole purpose of hiring an attorney is to protect you from the shenanigans that can be applied on the other side. So Yay. any, you know, it's good advice. If you're listening to this and you, and you're not involved in the practice of law, never talk to any authority, uh, especially a civil authority without the representation of an attorney, even if it's the police and they say they just want to bring you in and have you interviewed. What they're doing is they, you know, the IRS or the police, they, they think you're guilty already. Otherwise they wouldn't be talking to you or they think, you know, something that you're concealing it's a jackpot. So if the IRS wants to talk to you, just call Steve. You don't, don't talk to the, don't, do not talk to the IRS ever. The IRS are friendly people. They're not, uh, they're not malicious people, but it's their job to find stuff that most often you don't want them to find. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, some people say, why are you afraid to have your client talk to the IRS? Are you afraid that you're going to tell them the truth? No, that's not it. I, I am afraid they're going to talk too much because a lot of times what happens is if you're in a meeting with somebody, let's say the IRS, and you sit next to your client and the client gives you one of these and says, can I say something? The answer is always no. Mm. Now, if they do this again and say, no, it's really important. Now the answer is really no, because very often what they're going to volunteer is the opposite of what is good for their case. Now, I never lie to the IRS. I give them the information. But one of the things I'm worried about with my clients to talk to the IRS is I'm afraid not that they're going to just tell them the truth, but that they're going to lie. You know, I had a client uh, and this goes back about a year or so ago and he was getting audited. He's a contractor and he figures, OK, well, I got the audit notice. I'll go down there. I'm sure when I explain everything to them, they'll understand and they'll just leave me alone. And of course, that's not the case. Now, in this particular case, and as I said, he's a contractor, he's a builder, the revenue agent says to him, did you cash any checks at a check cashing store? So figuring that, how would they know if he did? He said, no, of course not. And the revenue agent said, well, we have information that you cash checks for $1.8 million. And he said to me, he says, they're wrong on the 1.8. It's 2.1. 
So that's another big problem. You don't lie to a federal agent. That's yeah. they they frown on that. You can go to jail for something. That's like that's that. a felony. Lying to a federal right. agent is a felony. You that's you can't. That's a bad thing. Yeah. There's yeah. There's there's people. There there are people. High profile people who have been on TV who have gone to jail for lying to a federal agent. And people who work for the IRS are federal agents. Well, the bottom line is this: if you're the the government always has more resources than you. So you need to have somebody by your side when you when you walk in there. And I want to talk all about the nuances of handling uh, issues with the IRS. I also want to talk about, um, you know, the, the, the everyday people that get caught up in this in this trap, you know, that it's kind of like quicksand when you don't pay your taxes one time. I want to talk about that. But before we talk about this, you only work with people who have problems with the IRS. You don't do wills. You don't do tax planning. You don't do family law. You won't set up a company for somebody. It's only if they have IRS issues. Why do you only do this? Well, for a couple of reasons. And wait, and you mentioned about the tax planning. Sometimes people call me and they'll say, I want to stay out of trouble with the IRS. What can I do to do that? I can't help you. I can't, I can't give you planning to keep you out of trouble. Once you get into trouble, then I can get you out of the trouble. I you're the, the analogy is, out. yeah, the analogy is you're the surgeon, right? You don't right. go to the surgeon when you have a cold, you go to the surgeon when you have a tumor, right? So if you wanted to learn how to prevent the tumor, you're 15 years too late. This is, you know, it's Klitzner time now. You, you got That's the right. tumor, now you call Klitzner. All right, so why do you only work with people who have IRS issues? Well, it, there's a there's a bunch of reasons. And I guess the most important is over my career as a lawyer, whenever I got outside of what I do, no matter what it was, it always ended in disaster. It just didn't come out right. I didn't feel right. So I only want to do things that I'm good at doing. And I don't want to learn on the job. I want to just focus on one thing. And that helps too, because when I focus on one thing, I'm more efficient. I can do things quicker, faster. Plus you have the relationships and you continue to build relationships. And if I only focus on one thing, I can really feel like I have the pulse of what's going on because I talk to new clients all the time, every day. So I understand what's going on out there and it just makes life easier for me and my staff. Whenever we do something at the office, and it's rare, outside of what we do, even if it's a favor, I, you know, I love doing favors for people, but it's not fair to them to have me do a favor for them outside of what I do. And it always takes so much time going back and forth. It's just much easier to focus on one thing where you deal with the same thing over and over. And it also helps because when someone comes in to talk to me, generally, and I let them tell me the story, but I can, they can only, only have to say a word or two to me and I can tell them the whole story because I hear it all the time. And, um, you, you really develop, you, you develop a deep expertise because after doing it for so many years, you, you really have seen it all. Yeah. And one of the things I always say, one of my taglines is losing sleep over IRS problems and if I do things outside of what I do, I'll start losing you, you'll, sleep. You'll lose sleep, yeah. yeah. You sleep well when people bring you IRS problems. You lose sleep yeah. when they bring you other stuff. That's right. And you know what I like referring? I have a network over the years of some great attorneys, great CPAs, people I can refer people to that I have confidence in that I'm really doing them a favor by sending them over there. Well, and that's currency, they then send you referrals back. Right. So right. if you're if you you know if you refer out seven cases a month, you're going to get four back. So it's a it's a good deal for you. Tell folks you, you have a you have an interesting story about how you got into this. Tell yeah. folks how you stumbled into this practice area that has been so lucrative. You put three kids through college. You know, you. Uh, it, this has been a great, this is the, the, like you finding the IRS problem resolution is the best thing that ever happened to you besides oh, meeting yeah. besides meeting your wife. So how did this happen? All right. So last century, I was a personal injury lawyer and I was working at a great personal injury firm and I finally got the guts to, after 13 years, leave there and go out on my own. And 
The thing about my story is a lot of times when people tell you that they're doing well and they're successful now, it's always because they had hit bottom. But I hadn't. I had a very good personal injury practice. I could have been still doing that, I guess. I don't know. I could have done that. At the time, I didn't know how much I wanted out because I was in. That's And, and once again, that's all I did was personal injury work. I didn't do anything outside of what I did. And the practice was good. And then way back in 2001, so we're at the 20-year mark I've been doing this, I was doing the favorite part of my day. I was reading my junk mail. Because when you're doing personal injury work, everything's a problem. Everything is adversarial. You have to deal with judges, insurance companies. Clients were never happy. Uh, so I read this, uh, this advertisement about an area of law that the CPA was teaching where you work less, you make more, the phone rings off the hook, you have less pressure, your clients are happy, everything you want to hear. And so I called the number and I found out it was representing people with IRS problems. And you had to plunk down about $6,500, non-refundable. Back then, now, nowadays, every time somebody makes you an offer, it's refundable. This is, we're going to give you everything. You're not getting your money back. Make up your mind whether you want to do this. And for some reason, I, I still don't know why. You know, sometimes you make decisions in life and looking back, you say, why did I do that? What, what was in the back of my mind that told me to do that, that worked out so well? I decided to do it. And I knew nothing about taxes. I knew nothing about my own taxes. I knew nothing, even though I had payroll taxes, I knew nothing about that. My CPA was taking care of it. And I remember telling my brother, who's a personal injury lawyer, I said, Jay, I'm going to start representing people with IRS problems. And he said, do you even know what IRS stands for? I said, International Resource Society. I don't know, but I've decided I'm going to do this. So I decided to do this. And I said, if I'm going to plunk down $6,500, and if I'm going to join this thing, I'm going all in. Because otherwise, it's not going to work. I'm going to read everything they send me. I'm going to get on every phone call and every teleseminar back then. There were no webinars. I was going to do everything they told me to do, all the accountability. I was going to go to every, every conference I could go to. And I did that. And I immersed myself in it. And I got to tell you, Dave, in the beginning, it was tough. Because what would happen is somebody would come in with an IRS problem. And they'd start talking. And I kind of like, I'd say, uh-huh, all right, all right. And then I'd excuse myself and go read the, the books they sent me so I could figure out what they were talking about because they usually knew more about the IRS than I did. And then I'd come running back in. And um, But that's that's every tough. that's every yeah. new thing. That's every, you know, you're, you're, the first time you play golf. I mean, I, I've been on the golf course with people watching YouTube videos to correct their swing, right? That's every, every time you do something new, you have that learning curve. But that thing that you're describing, that's what stops people, right? right. The, the, yeah. the not knowing the dummy part of your, uh, of your experience, but that lasts like three months, then all of a sudden somebody comes in and they say something that you've heard before and you're like, of course, I know how to solve that problem. <laughs> that's, a, that's exactly it. And, you know, that what was tough was that I was already a, a, an established attorney. I was a personal injury attorney. I knew everything about personal injury. And now I was learning something new. And uh, it, was, it was tough, but by immersing yourself and learning and going to every seminar I could go to and listening to everything I could and reading everything I could, I was able to get up to speed a lot quicker than somebody that just decided to do it one day. At what point were you, uh, and I've never, uh, you know, we've had a lot of conversations about this, but I've never asked you this particular question before. At what point are you at a seminar or are you talking to someone who's been doing it for years and you realize this guy's been doing this for 20 years and I've been doing it for three months and I know more than him. Like at what point, because you've, you're so paranoid that you're going to miss something. What point was it? Do you remember the point where you said to yourself, this is a 20 year guy. I know more than this guy. Well, yeah. What, what happened was, you know, I would go to every seminar 
And in the beginning, this isn't hard what I do. I mean, the concepts are easy. The, the biggest problem, of course, always is, you know, you hear the concepts, then you got to do the work to, to relate it so you could actually do the work. So I would go to the first seminars and I got it. It made sense. Then I started going, I continued to go to the seminars and what the speakers would say would validate what I do. I'd say, yeah, I do that. That's it. But then what happened is when I continued to go to the seminars and the speaker said something, I would say, yeah, that makes sense. But you know what? I've got a better way. So I started figuring out what I was doing a better way. And I would hear other people ask questions who had been doing it a long time. And it's like, I know the answer. How do you not already know the answer? I do that all the time. Yeah. So what happened was I was at a seminar for one of the ones I went to all the time with different organizations. And it happened with two of the organizations at the same time. The person that the, the president or the, um, the chief executive of the two uh, different uh, organizations said to me, basically, look, you come to these things all the time. You must learn something. Why don't you just speak for us? You know, almost like we're tired of taking your money. Why don't, you must know enough to right. speak. Right. So then I went to the next level, and that happened around 2007, where I started speaking at these things. And people who I had looked up to, well, I, I think the best one was when I first started doing this, um, they had something where you could type in your questions and they'd have an expert answer the questions. And I remember typing in one of the dumbest questions you could type in. And I got a back an answer that didn't just answer my question. It kind of told me what I need to read and know. And I was so mad. And I reported the guy in this and that. And years later, this guy now at seminars, he's in the audience and he's now a close friend. He doesn't remember that. Maybe someday I'll tell him how much I hated him and admired him at the same point. But now he'll call me to ask me questions. Um, you know, we are on equal length. We're now colleagues. And, and that really makes it feel a whole lot better. But one thing, one thing I wanted to mention, Dave, um, in the beginning, you know, I was doing personal injury and I still had a great practice. And I started doing the tax work. The tax work was down there and it started to even out to where tax passed and I got rid of all my personal injury cases. But in the beginning, it was like one of those shows where you had two dates to the prom because when someone came in to see me, I had a personal injury lobby and a tax lobby. So if a so tax you had two, two in, different physical locations? No, I had one lobby. Oh. But I had to change it for the client. Oh, so, so you had the a collateral coming in. The collateral hey, in the in the lobby. Yeah, okay. Get rid of all the personal injury stuff out of the lobby. Put up all the tax stuff. And then I'd see that client and I was a tax lawyer. And then I'd oh personal injury guy coming in, get rid of all that stuff. And and I'd had to do that. And then it came a point where I said, look, I can make a living doing this. I, you know, I you and you know me well. I only have room in here for one area of law. Right. So personal injury was just getting wiped out completely. You too know, much, room there's for, too much TV, movies, and fantasy sports stuff in there. You can only fit it. one area of law in there. That's yeah, it. I've got uh, uh, just the, the trivia is in there, and then personal injury has gone. So, you know, it came to the point where when I heard somebody tripped and fell, I'd say, oh, that's too bad. Instead of like, what happened? Where did it happen? What's the ramp? That ramp's not good. It's just like, oh, okay, that's too bad. There's an like there's that. an important there's an important lesson in in the in what you just said. The the reason that you immersed yourself in this and the reason that you learned so much that you surpassed people who had been doing it for years and years and years is because you were paranoid that somebody was gonna know more than you when they sat across the table. You didn't feel that way with personal injury. Because when you went to law school, you that was your immersion, and you came out of that, you know law school. You went into you know trial law, and you were like, okay, I got this. I went through three years of school, and I've been hanging around with these guys who know what they're doing. So nobody's gonna walk in and tell me about personal injury law. Then you're mid career, and you say, I'm gonna do something new. And somebody comes in and they show you a letter you've never seen before from the IRS. And you're like, oh boy, <laughs> what do we do with this? <laughs> so you, it's a paranoia that forces you to immerse yourself. Everyone I've met who's a second career professional, 
particularly second career lawyers, are more they're they're they for some reason or for this reason they don't fall behind on their knowledge of what's going on in the law because they're paranoid that somebody's always going to know more than them because this is their this is their second career. So if everybody treated their profession that way, everybody would be an expert. There would be no knuckleheads. But I guess if there were no knuckleheads, you know, we wouldn't be as successful as we are. So, you know, the world, the world needs knuckleheads too. All right, so you, you, uh, you go into this area of the law. You start to see similar patterns in people's problems. They come to you. You see similar patterns in people's problems. Explain, and this was, I was always fascinated by this when I first met you. Who's the person? Give us the, the two, three, four profiles of people who are in trouble with the IRS. It's not the guy who's living under the bridge with all his belongings in a shopping cart. That's not the guy. It's, there are people, like, they're your doctors, they're your real estate agents, they're the person who's working in your restaurant or owns your restaurant. Tell everybody what the profiles are of people who, you know, they just get in trouble with the IRS. Yeah, and people without IRS problems are often really amazed at this because what really happens, the real profile, because no one is immune, no matter what the, their age, race, um, whatever their gender is, it doesn't really matter. What happens is that taxes to some people is just very overwhelming. They have something in their head, something in their brain, where they just short circuit when it comes to this. To them, this is like you're in college and you have to do a master's thesis and how are you going to do it? So people who would never dream of breaking the law fall in disfavor with the IRS. And what ends up happening is once you fall behind a little bit, you say, okay, all right, I didn't file my returns or I owe a little bit of money. I'll take care of it next year. Next year comes, you say, well, all right, let me try to get this done. Oh, I'm not sure what to do. Another year goes by. At some point in time, it's like I am so overwhelmed that unless something happens, which is generally the IRS coming after them, I just can't do this. I just can't pull the trigger where I'm going to open this up and create a lot of pain for myself. So that's why it's up to the IRS to create a little pain for them so they come and get help. But it's just something in people that just can't get a hold of the problem. And a lot of times it's money too. You know, a lot of times people just can't afford to pay the IRS. No one can really afford it. But we see this a lot with independent contractors like nurses and real estate agents where because taxes aren't being taken out every year, they end up falling behind. That's why the IRS loves employees because they're having tax withheld all the time. When it comes to audits, the biggest thing that happens to people is they go to a bad tax preparer who gets them a bunch of money back, but it's all made up and they get audited and now they owe much more money than they can pay back with penalty and interest. So that's it. It's regular people who are very upstanding citizens who really care about everything. And I represent some people that other than their IRS problem, they have no other problem in their life. Right. Everything is good in their life. So talk about how you find a good tax preparer. How do you know? And, and you know, here's the thing. If you're getting a lot of money back in taxes and you made a lot of money, your tax preparer is not on the up and up. But how give people give people real criteria for for determining whether somebody's good uh, at at doing taxes, whether they're an upstanding, you know, CPA or bookkeeper or whether they're, you know, whether they're a shyster, whether they're, you know, some sort of, you know, some sort of charlatan. Well, generally, CPAs and enrolled agents do a great job. The people that one has trouble with is the person who someone tells you, this guy is great. He got me a lot of money back. Go to him is generally an unenrolled tax preparer and generally is not good. Mm. I mean, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. And I always tell people that get audited and I look at their return and I go, is this true? No, true. No, no, no. What happened? I never read the return. Because if you're told you're getting $5,000 back 
you say, okay, let me sign it. It's it's done. Sign it, sign said, it and cash the yeah. check. Yeah. If somebody said, yo, five grand, hold on. Let me look at this. Let me read this thing. So they generally don't read it. And there's stuff on there that's not just exaggerated. It's completely made up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, talk about talk about the danger of not, I, I don't want to say lying, but like padding the return so that, you know, I know a lot of people who say, okay, well, this is, this is the maximum allowable deduction here. I'm just going to put down the maximum allowable deduction. They have no backup. There's nothing, but I'm going to put out, I'm going to put down the maximum allowable deduction in every single area. Oh, child, child care credit. Sure. My, my child is 30, but I'm still taking care of them. So let me put that down. I mean, there's, you know, there's the right way to do it and there's the wrong way to do it. Talk about the danger in saying, well, this is the maximum deduction. They're never going to look into that. That's just not true. Yeah, you know, they all think pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. You know, if you have a deduction and you put down, for instance, if you have no proof of it, you say, okay, it's $5,000. You're not supposed to do that. It'll probably go through. You don't get audited. But if you put $10,000 and you get audited, not only aren't you going to get the 10, you're not even going to get the five. So the over-exaggeration is a problem because what happens is the IRS scores your tax return. So if you're an independent contractor and you brought in $100,000 and you have $90,000 in expenses, it's going to get a high score. You're going to, chances are you'll get audited because the IRS looks at it and goes, well, who would work for a hundred grand and have 90,000 in expenses and how are you living on $10,000 a year? So when you're out of whack on those things, you have more of a chance of getting um, audited. Now, now listen, if you really have the expenses and you get audited, we'll fight it, we'll win. The IRS will concede it. But if it's all made up, you're just not going to win. You just have to be realistic. You know, they they look at things and the computer looks at things and goes, well, how is that possible? And that scoring is all automated, right? So it's a, it's a computer, it scans it and it pushes it out. You know, this one is a nine out of 10 and they look at it and it doesn't to the, you know, to the person who's reviewing it, it doesn't matter if you made a million dollars or a hundred thousand, you're a nine out of 10. The IRS is going to, is going to enforce it. That's it. Yeah. Because the IRS does studies. They'll, audit people as part of studies. So they know if you're a real estate agent, what your average uh, car and truck allowance is, what, what your average pay. So if it's 10% of your income and someone does a return for 20%, it's going to increase the score. Again, that doesn't mean that it's wrong or that it's off, but it does mean that you have more of a chance of getting audited. And, and if, it, that's, yeah. is that stuff published? Because my accountant always knows that. My accountant will say, look, I know this is legitimate. I, I realize you have backup for all this. But Dave, here's the thing. You don't have a day and a half to spend being audited. So let's just, let's just knock off $3,000 here to keep you under this threshold to make sure that we don't have an audit. And, you know, to me, that seems reasonable. Are those, are those things published or is it, is it a gut feel from people who do it all the time? No, there are publications where you can see what the average in certain industries are in the way of expenses. Yeah. But I always tell somebody, if you really have the expense, I'm not afraid of an audit. We're going to win the audit. I know you don't want to go through the aggravation of it, but I also don't want people leaving money on the table. You shouldn't pay if you have the legitimate expenses. Yeah. You just have to be careful. But look, if you go to a CPA or an enrolled agent, they're not going to let you just make things up and have right. a problem. They don't right. want the problem. It's their responsibility too. Right. So go to somebody. Yes, it may cost you a couple of bucks more. Now I'm worried when people use some of the software and do it themselves. If it's a simple return, of course you can do that. But the danger of that is sometimes they'll answer different questions with the same answer and they kind of double dip because they don't really understand it. So if there's any complexity to it, just pay a couple of bucks for the peace of mind and go to somebody that really knows what they're doing. Well, and if you want a lesson, I I have an accountant do my taxes every year and my taxes cost me $700 to have my taxes done. 
if I had to hire Steve because I got in trouble, it would cost at least 10 times that. <laughs> so I can go 10 years hiring my accountant and not have to worry. <laughs> I, I, you know, my, my, so my father did our taxes. He still does his, he's 83 years old, still does his own taxes, worked for H&R Block during tax season, doing other people's taxes. He, you know, in the army, he was a payroll master. He made sure everybody got paid. He worked in finance for IBM for 40 years. Okay, he can do his own taxes. God bless him. Go nuts. The rest of you, get an accountant. That's right. Yeah, I mean, if it's really simple, you have some income, you withheld taxes, you really have nothing else. Yes, it's not a big deal. You can do it yourself. But those are the people also that are referred to someone that's going to get a money back, much more money than they should have gotten back. And they're, they're going to get audited, not only because of their return is going to have a high score, but a lot of times the IRS goes after the return preparer and they audit all of their people. Sure. So you, there's two ways you can get in trouble. Sure, sure. I mean, you know, if you need another rule of thumb, folks, in a non-pandemic time, if you're going to someone's house to get your tax returns done, that's not a good thing, okay? People don't, real professionals are not going to have you come to their house to do the taxes. Either it's, it's, gonna, it's all going to be virtual and you're not going to know where they are, or they're going to have an office, or at least a shared workspace. If you're going to Starbucks to get your taxes done, you're on the wrong track. If you you're meeting somebody at a gas station to hand them your paperwork, you're on the wrong track. If you're going to the same person who processed your immigration paperwork to get your taxes done, you're on the wrong track. Spend a couple of bucks, get an accountant, avoid all of these challenges. All right, Steve, let's talk now about how you get clients because, you know, Nobody knows somebody who's got a problem with the IRS. We don't sit around when they're, when we would go to cocktail parties. There's nobody going to a cocktail party going, hey, Dave, you got somebody who can help me. I got a, got in a little problem with the IRS. Nobody does that, right? So how do you find your clients? How do your clients find you? Well, yeah, and, and you're exactly right, though, Dave, because there's people whose children don't know about their problem, adult children, whose parents don't know they have a problem, and whose spouse doesn't even know that the spouse has the problem, that they both have a problem. So it, it, it's not, you know, when, when you go to a networking thing and people say, who do you want to meet? It's not, I want to meet somebody with an IRS problem because as, as you talked about, people don't know it. So I get cases through various ways. One way I get it is through referrals. Those are really uh, the best way. It's a referral from a CPA or an enrolled agent, a bankruptcy attorney or other attorneys those are good re referrals for me. I also have old clients refer cases for the people that they do know have IRS problems. And sometimes old clients do come back with new problems. So that's the, that, those are the best ways to get cases. You know, as I do a lot of speaking engagements uh, throughout the year and I get a lot of referrals from the professionals that I speak in front of during that. But I also do some marketing. And I do something that a lot of um, tax practitioners do, and I'll send letters to people that have IRS liens. It's, it's um, public knowledge, and I can send it to them. And I'm sending it along with a lot of these national companies because I want people to understand that when they get the letter from me, it's so much different than them. First of all, I have a real name and a website. It's not something secret. I'm also not publicizing that I'm rated with the Better Business Bureau, because if you have to tell people you're A-plus with the Better Business Bureau, I, 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 it's kind of not really a thing. Scammers, want, scammers tell people that, they're, that yeah. they're rated with the Better Business Bureau. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, and, and I also want people to know that I'm the one handling the case. And for people in Florida, specifically South Florida, I'm local during non-COVID times, they come in and talk to me. They could talk to me on the phone. They're not speaking to a salesman trying to sell. So that kind of differentiates me from the others. So, uh, and, and the internet is great too. You know, I, I'm rated on Avo, which is an attorney um, rating service, I guess, an attorney directory. And Martindale and Hubble, I'm rated too. And people Google tax attorney or tax help, and they're going to find me that way too. And they're going to go to my website. So those are some of my 
favorite All ways right. to get to So if you want to know how to have a successful Steve is a sole practitioner. He's got a he's got a staff, but he's a sole practitioner in his office. He also has an enrolled agent who's you know who's allowed to talk to the IRS on behalf of clients, but he's the only attorney in there. If you want to know how to have a highly successful practice and you're thinking about doing some marketing, let me let me uh, help you. And let me walk through, walk Steve through what it takes to have a highly successful practice. So from a new client lead generation perspective, let's start with speaking. You speak to CPAs. You speak to uh, every chapter of the American Society of Certified Public Accountants within drivable distance of your office. You're in Miami-Dade County in Florida. You speak to people in Broward County, in Palm Beach County, in uh, Collier County. I'm sure if there was a chapter, mm -hmm. if there's a chapter in Lee County or if there's a chapter in Monroe County, you can drive to them within an hour and a half, two hours. You're going to go do those speaking engagements. You like to go to Orlando, so I'm sure you'll go up to Orlando and do a speaking yeah. engagement. In Hillsborough County, over near Tampa, you'll speak. Everywhere there's a chapter. So you'll do six or eight of those a year. In addition, you'll speak to groups of bankruptcy attorneys. Right. If there's a bankruptcy attorney meeting, you'll go and you'll speak to them because bankruptcy attorneys where, you know, some stuff is dischargeable in bankruptcy with the IRS, some stuff isn't. Most bankruptcy attorneys don't know the nuances of that, so they need you to help them with that. So you'll speak to groups of bankruptcy attorneys. I've been with you when you've spoken to realtors and, you know, you say, listen, none of you are ever going to need my services, but if you ever know someone, if you know someone and you want to refer them, just let me know. I'll give you my business card. And like 20 people come up to you after the speech because they all have problems. So you'll speak to groups of realtors. My point is you're doing two in non-COVID times, two or three speaking engagements a month in COVID time. And plus you're educating other practitioners. You do a seminar for enrolled agents. Now people may be thinking, why would Steve teach other people to do what he does? Well, there's a thing called IRS appeals and these people will mess up cases and they'll have to appeal and they're not going to handle the appeal themselves. So they'll go call Steve who taught them the stuff in the first place to do the appeal. So Steve is speaking two or three times a month. That would be enough for a lot of people from a lead generation perspective. But Steve doesn't just do that. After he speaks, Steve then gets all their contact information, everybody in the audience, and what does he do? He puts them on an email list. And what does he do with the email list? How many times a month? Twice a month or once a month do you send out? Twice a month? Twice a month. Twice a month he sends out an email newsletter. Why does he do that? To stay top of mind with people. In addition, he uses mail. Those of you listening who are millennials, there is this thing called the Postal Service, you can write something on a piece of paper, fold it up, put it in an envelope, and go get a little square thing that goes on the corner. It's called a stamp, and you can mail those. Steve does direct mail every month. He does two types of direct mail. He does newsletters, which are full-blown print newsletters, and he writes the lead article every month, and he posts really scary stories about people who are getting crushed by the IRS, and Everybody on his list gets his newsletter. The second type of direct mail he does, he already talked about. He gets lists of people who the IRS is uh, going after hard. Those lists are public uh, knowledge. He can access them publicly. And he sends them letters letting them know that he can help them. That's direct mail. He does internet stuff. He has a guy who does internet advertising for him. He does advertising through Google. He does advertising through Facebook and Instagram. So he does internet advertising. He also has a guy who makes sure that his website is optimized so people searching Florida tax issue, Florida tax problem, that's called search engine optimization. He makes sure people can find him there. But that's not all he does. Steve also belongs to, what? how many groups do you belong to now, networking groups? Three? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, three. Three. Uh -huh. Steve belongs to three business networking groups, okay? One of them is just lawyers. He gets a lot of referrals from lawyers. So he meets with them once a month. They get to see him. They get to talk to him. And he doesn't just belong, he is in a leadership role in all of those groups. So in each of those groups, he has a high profile, people see him, they know him, they trust him, they refer business to him. He also runs a radio spot on 
talk radio. And he doesn't just do it in any talk radio scenario. He does it in talk radio where there are a high propensity of listeners who are independent professionals. They look just like his exact client. How did he find that? Well, he had to use a broker to find these two stations and he's running talk radio spots and getting a positive return on his investment from that. All of these things. He's got, I just laid out probably 16, 17, 18 different things he's doing. We probably missed two or three things that he's doing that, that we didn't even cover. All of these things will get him one or two clients a month. But if you think about it, if he's got 18 ways to get two clients, that's 36 new clients a month. I know a lot of you listening are happy if you get one or two new clients a month. You've got to increase the number of things that you're doing in order to attract new clients. Now, all of these things, they weren't productive right from the very beginning. Steve had to test them. And a lot of them didn't work at first. And we tweak them and we test them and we do them over and over again. Steve, talk about how you decide to implement a new strategy because you're always trying new things. And talk about how you determine whether a new strategy is successful or not. Well, you know, sometimes I'll just have an idea, you know, and I'll say, you know, I should really try something like this. And people have ideas all the time and then they do nothing about it. So it's nothing. But then I'll start to implement it. And I like to implement it slow. And I like to, well, when I say slow, I don't, I don't necessarily go all in. I want to test it first. I want to see if it's working because I've done stuff and it doesn't work and it's okay. I'll do something else. So the more it works, the more I invest in it and the more I'm going to do it. I don't like to waste time. You know, like if I go to a chamber of commerce meeting and I look around and I talk to the people, these people really aren't going to refer cases. They really don't get networking. Um, this is going to be a waste of time. I don't go anymore. You know, and if I if I do an ad somewhere, or do something, I mean, I, I'll try it. And if I get some response and there's a good return on investment, then I'll just keep going and I'll up it. So, you know, it's just a, a constant test to see. You know, I've worked, I've done some LinkedIn stuff. And LinkedIn has never really worked for me. Yes, I could do different ways, but we've done some testing and we've checked it out to see what happened. And I, I, it's just not for me. And, and, and that's one of the things about marketing, Dave, is that, Sometimes you just got to get over, and, you know, for a long time, it's like, oh, I got to do LinkedIn. I got to do Facebook. And it would just drive me nuts until I made the decision. I'm just not going to do it. And I feel mm -hmm. a lot better not thinking that's what I'm going to do because I just decided not to do it. Yeah. So for, for, uh, for me, one of the things that I always uh, come back to is as soon as I start thinking that something's not going to work, that's a sign that I haven't looked into it thoroughly enough. And you mentioned LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a good example. For years, you were you were like, uh, it's got to be like at least a year and a half, two years, you were like, what can I do on LinkedIn, Dave? What can I do on LinkedIn? And I kept telling you, ignore LinkedIn. It's not for you. You're not going to get any leads. And then I, you know, stumbled upon somebody who had used LinkedIn in another, in another profession, not the practice of law, not what I do. And I saw what they were doing. And I said, you know, I might be able to do this. Let me try it. And... You know, I tried connecting with 25, 30 people a day in a way that makes, you know, makes an offer to them for something that they may or may not need. And it works. I, I get 25 or 30 new connections a week. I import them into an email list and I follow up with them, follow up with them, follow up with them. And eventually they become clients. It's a, it's a longer term strategy and it's not, it's not expensive. So the cost per acquisition is low. If that was the only thing I was doing, I'd be in bad shape. But it's because it's one way to get 100 clients, I'm okay with it. Or, I'm sorry, 100, one of 100 ways to get one client, I'm okay with it. Um, and that's to your point of we all, we all have a, a finite amount of time. So if you can automate something or if you can have a staff member or a team member do it, it may make sense to invest in, you know, one thing that's going to get you a client every other month. Otherwise, you need to find three or four things that are going to deliver you one client a month. And once you get them working without your involvement, move on to something else and test it. 
And that's what you've been so good at doing. You've got now 15 things that will get you one client that you don't have to think about. So you can take one or two new things every month, test them for three or four months and see if they're working. And then if they're working, you come up with a system so that you never have to be involved in it again. And, 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 go and ahead. one of my favorite things is when I get a referral and the people came to me with two different ways. They'll say, well, this person referred you and I heard you out on the radio. So if I get two ways people are calling me. I just had a case recently where um, two different individuals who weren't together were both sued by the IRS on a tax situation. And they don't know each other, but they were both defendants. They both called me separately to see if I could represent them. I thought that that was great, that two different people found me in two different ways. Oh, one other thing on the radio. I don't know if I, I, I might've told you this. I got a call from somebody that said, you should be really mad. I heard your radio ad and they played it right at the same time as one of those national company ads. I said, this is great. Because in my ad, I say, do you really want somebody 2,000 miles away taking care of your IRS problem? Call me. I'm personally going to handle it. So I was really happy to hear that. Yeah. I don't consider them my competition. I can, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't consider them my competition. I don't consider people that dabble in what I do my competition. I don't consider people that charge very little money to do what I do because they don't really know what they're doing my competition because I'm, I only do this. Most tax lawyers, you know, if you go to their website, they'll do a million different things. All I do is this stuff. All right, so if people want to learn more about how to, well, if you want to learn more about how to start a niche practice or a second career and you want to pick Steve's brain, I'm sure he'd be open to that. If you have an IRS problem, I'm sure none of you do, but if you have an IRS problem and you want to talk to Steve about it, uh, you can reach out and talk to Steve. If you know somebody who has an IRS problem and you want to learn how to talk to them so that they will go in and get their problem taken care of, you can talk to Steve. Steve, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Well, uh, the telephone's a good thing. 305-682-1118. Uh, or you can email me. You can email me at steve at Florida, spell out Florida, tax, T-A-X, solvers, S-O-L-V-E-R-S, Dot com. Steve at FloridaTaxSolvers.com. That's also the website, FloridaTaxSolvers.com. All right. So we're going to put all that information in the show notes so that you can access Steve. Those of you out there who are lawyers, I encourage you to call Steve and just pick his brain on the practice of law. And here's the reason why. He's got 15 things going on that get him one client. He will completely shift your mindset from a marketing perspective. You'll discover what real marketing is all about from uh, a lawyer's perspective. Steve, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thanks for joining us today. Those of you who are listening, be sure and come back here tomorrow because we're here every day with the inside business secrets, the insider business strategy, and we cut through all the inside BS that's bogging you down. I'm Dave Lorenzo, and until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.